0: And so uh, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 4 tonight, Daniel, chap- Daniel chapter 4. And uh, at, once you find it, go ahead and stand. We'll read the last part of this chapter because this last week we looked at Daniel 4, the first part of the chapter, and that was uh, covering 27 verses. And so this one is uh, not quite as long this time. And yet we'll, we'll do some review as we go. Um, but Daniel chapter 4, verse, verse twenty. We'll technically begin in verse 28 here. And I'll do some review in case you weren't here Sunday night, just so you can catch up on the story. Daniel 4, 28 says, All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon? You can imagine how he says it. That that I have built for the house of the kingdom of, By the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. There's already a problem. You can see it, can't you? Just full of pride he is. Verse 31, while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like e- eagle's' feathers, and his nails like birds' claws. And at the end of the days, I Nebuchadnezzar lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, "...whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time my reason returned unto me... And for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth, and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase." Well, he sums it up well there at the end, doesn't he? I'm just, tonight, well, this week I saw a video of a little boy and he had poor eyesight from birth. And he's just a toddler, a couple years old, and it was a video of him getting glasses for the first time. Has anybody ever seen a video like that? Or even, you know, there are times where they'll they'll give him hearing aids for the first time and they hear the voice. This is the little boy, he was, for the very first time, um, he was putting on glasses and he looks up at the face and then he hears the voice of his mother and he recognizes that it's his mother. And the light turns on and the grin gets big and you just see this little boy finally understand, well, I, he sees for the first time, that's my mom. It's like the light bulb goes off, you know, on, I should say, and, and he has that aha moment. The blinder comes off and he can finally see Well, here, this story, we have a picture of a man who's blinded by pride and the blinders, for just a moment, the blinders come off and his response really is a help to us in that when we are confronted with God's grace and the blinders come off, we really need to respond with humility because when we respond with humility, we have more grace from the Lord. When the blinders come off, is it time maybe for some of your blinders of pride to come off. Let's pray. God, we need you and I need you and I pray that you bless the reading of your word. Meet with us, speak to us and work in your word through us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Daniel 4, as we looked at last week or this past Sunday night, Daniel 4 is written um, as a letter from Nebuchadnezzar to all the people that he rules In his empire, we can go back to the beginning and we won't. I'll just give you the first verse so you see what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. It says, Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel 4 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. So, this is a letter, a decree from the king of Babylon, whose name is Nebuchadnezzar, and he's writing it to all the people in his empire. Uh, It's almost like a State of the Union address, only this letter is written written from a personal perspective. He's telling those that are reading it about a personal experience that he has had. And and he writes, and we're not going to go through and read it all, I'm just going to review it, but he writes that he, he was resting in his house, he was flourishing, and that word flourishing means he was green, basically like a healthy plant he was living a life of ease because at this time babylon was one of the more, most powerful countries in the whole world nebuchadnezzar was one of those most powerful men in the whole world and he had conquered everyone he went after there were no more wars it was life was good there was a life of ease and for decades at this point he sat in the comfort of his palace he had conquered everybody uh, unfortunately there's a problem and that is this, that he had achieved so much that it, it appears he forgot God. It appears, and, and we know by his own words, that he took credit for all of his success but, and he gave it to himself. He left God out of the picture, even though just a couple of chapters before in Daniel 2, Daniel very clearly told him that it is God that puts kings in their thrones and it is God who removes them from their thrones. Nebuchadnezzar had forgotten about that. And so he's living a life of ease, he's flourishing. And one night he has a dream. And in this dream, he's terrified by what he sees. So he calls his wise men and he tells them the dream. And none of them are able to help him with the dream. So he then summons old reliable Daniel himself and tells him the dream. And so we have then here Nebuchadnezzar detail, detailing his dream to Daniel. And, and, and we won't read it again, but in verse 10, he sees this great cosmic tree, this giant tree. And the tree is big, the tree is impressive, the tree is something everyone can see. It has healthy leaves, it's producing abundant fruit. Uh, all the animals uh, are in the area are eating of the fruit, the, tr- the birds are re- nesting in the branches of this tree, um, it's, it's flourishing. The tree is green. Uh, and there's a parallel here. I hope you're getting it. The tree is flourishing. The tree is green. The tree is at rest. The tree is, it, it has peace. It's producing. It's providing. It's enjoying its life. And just when Nebuchadnezzar is enjoying the dream, the dream takes a dark turn because there's a watcher in the dream and this watcher says it comes Down from heaven, descends from heaven, calls it a holy one. I imagine it's probably something like an angel. This watcher comes down from heaven and and cries this, uh, he cries out with saying this, cut down the tree, remove all the leaves, cut off the branches, get rid of the fruit, scatter all the birds, make sure all the beasts go away. The tree needs to come down. Then later it says, leave a stump because the tree's not done yet, but the tree needs to come down. In verse 16, it it transitions from talking about a tree to talking about his. So now it starts to give um, pronoun like a his Description, not just a tree, not an it, it's his. And it says his heart will be changed from a man's heart to a beast's heart. He won't even know that he's a beast. He won't know that he's eating grass and living for seven years out in the wilderness. Why? Why go through all this? Why does the tree have to come down? Well, you look then at verse 17 and we'll read here. It says, This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones. To the intent, here's why, to the intent that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basis of men. So in his dream, the message in the dream is that the tree needs to learn a lesson, there's only one most high. That's the lesson the tree needs to learn. And it's not the tree. Think about it. The tree is not there of its own accord. The tree is there because it had help. The tree is there uh, because of, of the water of rain and the, the nutrients in the soil. The tree didn't get where it was without, without help. There's only one most high. That's what, Dan, that's what Nebuchadnezzar's dream tells him. And you would think that he starts to get it. You would think that he knows, okay, this has got to be a parallel about me. But maybe he's one of those those people that, you know, he sticks his head in the sand. and Or maybe he just denies the truth. He just doesn't want to hear it. So he calls Daniel in and he says, I really need to know what this dream means. And so Daniel comes in. And he starts to interpret the dream and and he relays the dream. And then he says in verse 22, look what Daniel says. He says what we all already probably know. It is thou, O king, that art grown and become strong. For thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto heaven. And thy dominion to the end of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher and an holy one coming down from heaven and saying, "Hew the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field and let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. This is the decree of the most high which is come upon my Lord the King, that they shall drive thee from men and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven and seven times shall pass over thee, that seven years, till thou know that the most high, till thou know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. I mean, if, if he wasn't getting it before, he has to know by now. This dream is a look into Nebuchadnezzar's future and that he has grown so full of himself and he has grown so full of pride, you might say he's gotten too big for his britches, as they say. He has blinders of pride on. He thinks that he built the kingdom that he rules. He thinks that he is the one that has conquered He's worshipped like a god. We know that based on pagan cultures. For years, he sits in his palace and he thinks about how great he is. But there's only one most high. And one thing I love that we looked at on Sunday is that God's the God of second chances, though. Because he says in verse 26, and whereas, and so Nebuchadnezzar, I just imagine, Nebuchadnezzar is now like, oh no, this is not good. But look what Daniel says. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee. After that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Meaning, God's not done with you yet. He says, Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee and break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Daniel says you can change the course of of you perhaps by humility can change the course of what God is going to do if you would just humble yourself if you would just admit that you're a sinner, if you would just change your mind about things and and repent of your sins, cast off your sins, listen, God is going to judge you if you stay on the course you're on, but you can humbly repent and maybe God will show you mercy. It's not too late. I mean, just the fact that God gives him the dream and Daniel gives him the interpretation, this is a second chance. This is God intervening, intervening in his life, giving him another another opportunity. And you and I might say, well, then just humble yourself, Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, just humble yourself. Get on your face and and tell God you know that you've sinned. You know that you have pride, that that you know that this sin of pride is serious before God. It's an abomination to God. Just repent and make it right. Right? Unfortunately, Nebuchadnezzar thought he was the goat. Remember Sunday, the greatest of all time, G-O-A-T, the goat. We talk about people that say they're the goat. You know, Dan Nebuchadnezzar really thinks he's the goat. Uh, he, he's the greatest. By the way, Brother Spillman pointed out to me on Sunday that the symbol for the greatest of all time is goat. And you know who the, what the goat represents in spiritual symbolism? It represents Satan you know so how fitting that the ultimate symbol of pride is the goat and it's a picture of that first being that had pride in heaven is Satan himself. Here's Nebuchadnezzar he's so full of pride that he has an opportunity to turn and he ignores Daniel's warnings. Why? Because pride makes us think we'll be the exception. Pride is deceiving. It makes us think we're something we're not. It makes us think we're untouchable. It puts us in a position where we don't see things clearly. And being deceived, though, doesn't change the fact that God hates pride in every form. We might be deceived, but we still have a responsibility to acknowledge that we have pride. It's an abomination of God. And the blinders need to come off. Here's some lessons, I think, from this that we can learn if you want the blinders of pride to come off you must recognize that God is God and you are not you must recognize that God is God and you are not there's only one most high he rules over heaven not us to this point in the chapter it's been Nebuchadnezzar writing in first person I don't know if you noticed that I Nebuchadnezzar I Nebuchadnezzar but look what happens in verse 28 There's a tense change. Uh, It says, all this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. So to this point, it's Nebuchadnezzar writing, this happened to me, I, king Nebuchadnezzar. Well, verse 28, there's a transition from king Nebuchadnezzar writing in first person. uh, Now it's in third person. Someone's writing about the king. It's likely Daniel now writing about this seven-year period where the king is basically out of his mind. Here's an interesting thought. See, pride makes us think we're in control, but we're really not. It's so incapacitated Nebuchadnezzar that someone else got to write his story. He was no longer the one calling the shots. See, pride makes you think you're in control, that you're the one calling the shots, but really it takes the control out of his hands. You see, and let me just say this, you don't want to be someone else's illustration. You know, and pride will make you one. You know, and I've used illustrations of, especially of young people that, that have pride in their life and they refuse to submit, they refuse to repent, and they become an illustration that someone else is now writing about. Well, here's Nebuchadnezzar. He's no longer writing his own story. Someone else is writing for him. Look at Verse 29. It says, at the end of 12 months, he walked into the the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, is not this great Babylon? I I can't do a, a good, you know, pious voice tonight. That I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. You know, Nebuchadnezzar is likely walking around the roof of his palace. He's likely on the roof of this gigantic, beautiful palace in the middle of Babylon. And make no mistake about it, Babylon was impressive. Stephen Miller records these amazing details. Listen to these details of the city. It was shaped as a huge rectangle surrounded by a broad and deep moat. And beyond the moat was an elaborate system of double walls. The innermost wall was 21 feet thick with defensive towers at 60 foot intervals. The outer wall was 11 feet thick complete with additional watch towers. And beyond this system of walls was another set of walls. The inner walls of this second set was 23 feet thick and the other wall was 25 feet thick large enough for chariots to travel along the top. The walls were likely 40 feet high. The Ishtar Gate opened to a 1,000-yard procession way that led all the way to the temple called Marduk, and an additional 53 temples stood within the the city walls. A 400-foot-long bridge spanned spanned from east to west across the Euphrates River that ran right through the city. Nebuchadnezzar himself had three palaces his, his primary palace covered 350 by 200 yards it contained a beautifully decorated throne room and and he also had created or, or made the hanging gardens which was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Nebuchadnezzar built it for his wife Amethyst who grew up in the mountains. So he created this setting like the setting she grew up in. He created a setting, these hanging gardens, right there in the middle of the city. He built a mountain setting. Hoists were made to get the water out of the Euphrates River up to these high terraces that they had built. So no wonder that Nebuchadnezzar is walking around saying Babylon is great because it is beautiful and it is impressive and people that came to it would have been impressed. But as he looked at at what was going on in this city, he took all the credit for it. His heart was filled with pride And while he's talking about himself and taking all the credit for it, God's voice suddenly rings out. Look at verse 31. While the word was in the king's mouth. So while he says what he's saying about my majesty and my power and all of this stuff that I have done. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men. And thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen. And seven times shall pass over thee. Until thou know. Until thou know. That the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men. And giveth it to whomsoever he will. I mean, He's talking about it while the words are in his mouth. A voice comes down. A voice of judgment. And by the end of the hour it happens just like God said it would this king, this great king who impresses everybody and rules the known world suffers from a condition known uh, if you read about uh, commentaries about the condition that he suffers it's called lycanthropy it's, it's which an individual it's a condition in which an individual believes that he's an animal and Nebuchadnezzar starts to literally he thinks he's an ox He's eating grass and chomping on plants growing out of the ground. I mean, it would be almost humorous if it wasn't so humiliating. One man, Gleason Archer, he describes this, what would have happened in Nebuchadnezzar. He says, his skin toughened into hide. Through constant exposure to outdoor weather at all seasons, the temperature in modern Iraq, which is where Babylon would have been, ranges from a high of 110 or or 120 degrees Fahrenheit in the summer, usually with high humidity, to a low of well below freezing in the winter. Most particularly, the hair of his head and his body it would become matted and coarse. Um, it would have looked like eagle feathers. His fingernails and toenails never cut, became like claws. So this boasting king sank to a subhuman level. And he lived that way for seven years. I mean, how humiliating and how disheartening. But I'm thankful, though, that the story doesn't end with him in the wilderness because if you want the blinders to come off yes absolutely if you want the blinders to come off you must recognize that God is God and you are not but you also must respond to your hardships with humility so you need to recognize God as God if you don't you'll end up in hardship but if you in your hardship if you want the blinders to come off there then you've got to respond to your hardships with humility See, notice how the tense changes back. Look at verse 33. The same hour was the thing fulfilled unto Nebuchadnezzar, and he, and he was driven from men, and it eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dews of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers and his nails like birds' claws. And at the end of the days, what's the next word? Verse 34. I. So there's a, thir- a seven-year gap between verse 33 And 34, and for those seven years, someone else wrote Nebuchadnezzar's story. But in verse 34, at the end of those seven years, now it's Nebuchadnezzar writing again. He's given his own personal testimony because he comes to his senses at the end of the days. Verse 34, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. So after seven years, he comes to his senses. And I don't know the the, the circumstance, I don't know the situation. We don't, we're not given that. So apparently that's not important. Um, But one one man wrote this. It is important to note the connection here between the exercise of faith and the return of reason. While he was full of his own importance, Nebuchadnezzar's world revolved around himself. It did not strike him how unrealistic this was until he was brought low by illness. Sanity begins with a realistic self-appraisal. You see, some people get a glimpse of God and they humble themselves like Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, he saw God sitting on the throne, right? And he said, "Uh, behold, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Isaiah humbled himself. Nebuchadnezzar had an opportunity to humble himself, but he didn't. So God put him in a position to humble Nebuchadnezzar. See, some of us, we humble ourselves, and that's the way it ought to be. But some of us are so hard-headed that we have to learn the hard way. And we could humble ourselves, like Nebuchadnezzar could have humbled himself when Daniel told him to, um, but many of us end up in the wilderness. We go through the hardships. We have to go through the tough times. We have to end up in the dirt. We have to end up in the mud before we finally get it. And and Nebuchadnezzar has to be humbled by God because he just wasn't willing to learn the lesson on his own. He's a learn-the-hard-way kind of a guy. And you say, well, that's so mean. I don't know why God would do that. No, understand, this is all an effort on God's part to extend grace to Nebuchadnezzar. See, don't don't take this as a sign that God hates him. No, in fact, this is proof that God pursues him. Because God chastens the ones that he loves. He comes after us. He pursues us. And it is often, though, that in the hardships that he lets us uh, be turned to him. The hardships are often the things that draw us back to God. Sometimes we have to go through the hardships to recognize, I need the Lord again when we could have humbled ourselves at the beginning and we were too proud to do it well there will be times in our lives that our pride gets us to our lowest point and in that moment our response better be to look up to be humble before God now let me clarify this not every hardship comes as a result of pride just because you're going through something hard, it doesn't mean that it's, it's your fault. I'm not saying that, but I will say this, that every act of pride will result in hardship. Every, and every hardship could, should cause us to humble ourselves before God. Don't get mad when you have pride and God lets you uh, feel the, the effects of your pride and puts you in a tough position. Don't get mad. Say, thank you, God, for bringing me to my senses. Thank you, God, for bringing me something difficult to remind me that I'm limited. See, those hardships remind you of your limitations. You're not perfect. You do make mistakes. Uh, you, You do get sick. You do run out of money. You don't have all the answers. You will do dumb things. But in those lowest moments, rather than get angry, we would do well to respond like Nebuchadnezzar. See, look what Nebuchadnezzar does in verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes into heaven and mine understanding returned unto me and I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him that liveth forever whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing as, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say unto him what doest thou at the same time my reason returned unto me and for the glory of my kingdom mine honor and brightness returned unto me and my counselors and my lord sought unto me and I was established in my kingdom and an excellent majesty was added unto me but that was it wasn't about him though now I Nebuchadnezzar praise and extol and honor the king of heaven see his his when, when he found himself at his lowest point, his response was humility and he turned to God. And many people get angry. Many people get bitter when things are hardest. They turn away from God. But those hardships are God's way of turning us toward him. And Nebuchadnezzar has done nothing to impress God but he gets God's attention when he humbles himself. See, pride always leaves us in the wilderness with nothing. But God's grace is only one humble prayer away. And in your hardest moments, God is one prayer away. One step. That's how quickly he responds to our humility. Isaiah 57, 15 is one of my favorite verses. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell, he says, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God dwells in the high and holy place, but he doesn't dwell there with the kings. He doesn't dwell there with the powerful and the mighty and the wisest. No, he dwells there with those that have a humble and contrite spirit. When we turn to God in humility, he always responds with grace. He loves to extend grace. And if you and your pride have been brought to a place that is a low point, as soon as you have an opportunity to respond with humility, you better do it because his grace is just one click away see once the blinders come off it'd be good for us to refuse to waste the grace we've been given because sometimes you know the blinders come off God extends grace we humble ourselves and then we go on our merry way Say, well, I have God's grace, and i that's all he, I mean, I, that's all he requires. I, yeah, I was in a low spot, but I humbled myself, and now look at me. I'm right back where I need to be. But I don't get that sense from Nebuchadnezzar. Look again at verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. He says, now I... Like something has changed in Nebuchadnezzar. It used to be he would walk around and be in pride over his kingdom and over his, his achievements and over all the stuff that he has built. But now he says, but now I, now I walk to praise God. Now I remember that it is really God who is over all things. It is really God uh, whose ways are judgment and his works are truth. It is really God that is, that, that is able to abase those that walk in pride. Do you see a turning point? See, I don't know that if Nebuchadnezzar ever got saved, but I do like to think that he genuinely placed his faith in Jehovah. This seems like an act of faith, an act of humility. And by the way, it doesn't matter how far your sins have taken you or how far you've gone, that God's grace is really just one step away. Because you could be as far away from God as you think you could be. And nobody can love me here in the wilderness of your sin. But we find out in this text right here that God is one prayer of humility away. If you will simply have faith and turn to him, he responds with grace every single time. And we learn that about this. But one thing I know about Nebuchadnezzar is he made good use of his opportunity. He, ref- he didn't waste it. He said, "Now I know." And we don't—we're not—we don't know what happened happened in Nebuchadnezzar after this. But I like to think he lived the rest of his days following Daniel's God. See, sometimes I wonder if we truly recognize the opportunities of grace we've been given. Say, oh yeah, I was at a low point, and I had done this and done that, and I was at the lowest point I, you could possibly, uh, you know, even imagine. You wouldn't ima- believe where I was, and God brought me out of it. I'm really thankful. And then we go about our way like, you know, God has nothing to do with our da- daily lives, and we forget that that if d- without God's grace, boy, we would be in a mess. And how many? I, just asking, how many sins have you committed in your life? Please don't answer. How loud. It's a big number. How many times has God forgiven you? It's a big number. And if your answer is mine, which is all of them, that means that God is a God of more than just second chances. No, He has extended grace to me time and time and time and time and again. I don't deserve to be standing here breathing much less looking at his word and talking to you about it i mean multiple times multiple times thousands thousands upon thousands of times i have failed god and yet when i go to him and confess my sins to him he still forgives me he has extended grace to me more times than i could ever tell you about And yet, there are days where I live my life as if he hasn't really made a big difference in me. I do my thing and I almost forget that he's God. I know that's an indictment on me, but I think that's the human condition. It's very easy to walk by sight instead of walk by faith and forget that if without God's grace, I wouldn't even be alive today. And I think about the people in this room, you know, those of us that have been raised in America, that's not everyone here, but most of us raised in America, we have so many opportunities to serve God and stand for God and have a copy of his word and go to church and give ourselves to him. We have so many opportunities that others in this world don't have. And sometimes I wonder if we might be the worst stewards, even though we have the most opportunities. There are those in countries that aren't allowed to serve God freely, making a lot more of their opportunities than I am in complete freedom to serve Jesus Christ. Think about those that have been raised in Christian homes. That's my story. It's not everyone's story in here. And I, And I hate that. I wish everyone could be raised in a Christian home. But if listen, if you've been raised in a Christian home, and I think about these young people right here, then if you have a background like mine, you've been afforded a lot of grace. And I wonder how much I've actually made of the grace that God has shown in my life. What have I done with the grace I've received compared to what somebody else had to start with and what they've done with their life? One thing I know is this, the... Most zealous Christians I've met in my life are often the ones who've been saved out of a tough life. They were at the lowest point because they recognized God's grace. We can be saved so long that we forget without God's grace, we would not be where we are. My point is this, the best thing you can do, like Nebuchadnezzar, the best thing you can do after humbling yourself and receiving God's grace is to make sure you don't waste it. If God has ever shown you grace, he deserves your very best. Second yes, Corinthians 6, Paul said to the Corinthians, we beseech you that ye also receive not the grace of God in vain. Meaning it's possible to receive God's grace and produce nothing with it. In other words, we don't turn what God has done in your life into something that is empty. We've all benefited from God's grace. Don't make it vain by taking it for granted. Why don't you and I tonight recognize that without God's grace, we would be nothing. And like Nebuchadnezzar say, now I. Now, I mean, I know what God did for me and now I, I'm not gonna waste my opportunity. I'm gonna read my Bible because this is God's revelation. That's that now I. Now I'm gonna spend time with God in prayer because he is a God of grace and he deserves that for me and I want to know him. Now I will give myself to his church because he loves the church and gave himself for it. Now I will commit myself myself to this place. Now I will be a friend to someone who needs me. Now I will be a witness to somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ. Now I will be an encourager at church instead of just coming and wanting somebody to give me a blessing. No, I'll go. Now I will go and be a blessing to them. Now I will do this for God. Now I will do that for God. Now I will surrender my life to God. Listen, if God has given you grace on any level it is time to say, now I. I'm not going to waste the opportunity that I have and I think far too many of us settle and waste the grace. And I would encourage you tonight to be thankful for God's grace in your life. That he removed the blinders in your life at some point. And don't waste what he has done in you. Not everybody has the opportunities that you have, that we have. Is it it time for some blinders to come off? Maybe. Maybe you need to recognize God as God and you are not and you've been full of pride in some area and you won't let him be over you. You refuse to submit. Maybe that's true of you. Maybe it's time to respond with humility. You know what he wants you to do and it's time to just be re- responsive and be humble. Or maybe you've received, the blinders have come off, and you've received his grace, but you've been wasting the grace. That you haven't done a lot with it. You accepted it, but you haven't really taken any steps. I don't know, do the blinders need to come off? Or maybe you just need to stop and be thankful that at some point in your life, God showed you grace. And you don't want to waste it. There's probably applications for everybody here tonight. Let's stand together. And give God an opportunity to work in us. Appreciate your attention tonight. Have the blinders come off? Do the blinders need to come off? And if the blinders have come off, are you wasting the grace that God has shown you? A kind of still going back, reverting back, to living for yourself. Let's not do that. Let's take the grace God has given us and do the very most we can with it. Father, we need you tonight to pray for your help. Just pray that you'd help us to be humble just like we heard tonight. Help us to be humble like Nebuchadnezzar and not not forget what you've done for us to make the most of the grace that you've bestowed upon us. Lord, we love you. We need you there's anyone here tonight that doesn't know you as savior i pray that you would give them um, hope in this message that the hope is that no matter how far away we are how far we've fallen that there's nobody outside the reach of god's grace he will forgive all sins and he wants to draw us near to himself god i pray if there's anybody here tonight that to respond for salvation let them do it and then for the christian help us to be committed not to waste the grace. In Jesus' name, I pray these things.